Chapters nineteen and twenty of the Curved Blades by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nineteen, letters from the fugitive. Pauline's flight was deemed by many a confession of guilt. The district attorney declared his intention of cabling a command to hold her for examination at Alexandria, or he said perhaps it would be better to intercept her course at Gibraltar or Naples the people at garden steps paid little attention to these suggestions so absorbed were they in planning for themselves poor child said haviland she ran away in sheer panic you don't know pauline as we do mr stone she is brave in the face of a present or material danger when a gardener's cottage burned she was a real heroine and saved a tiny baby at risk of her own life but always a vague fear or an intangible dread throws her into a wild irresponsible state and she loses her head utterly now i may as well own up that i do think polly committed this deed i think that she had stood aunt lucy as long as she possibly could and you've no idea what the poor child had to put up with i think that when lady lucy threatened to send pauline away homeless and penniless this panic of fear overcame her and she gave that poison on an impulse but interrupted stone that would imply her having the poison in readiness she couldn't procure it at a moment's notice that's so agreed haviland thoughtfully but even so it's my belief that that's the way it all happened how pauline got the stuff i've no idea but there's no other explanation that fits the facts aunt lucy's aversion to drugs or medicines could have been overcome by few people but pauline could have wheedled her into taking it by some misrepresentation of its healing qualities or something like that it must have been under some such misapprehension that she took it said stone for i'm convinced she took it dissolved in a glass of water and therefore was conscious of the act though not of the nature of the dose but couldn't miss stewart have given it innocently by mistake as a headache powder or miss carrington never had headaches returned anita and anyway pauline couldn't make such a mistake it isn't as if miss carrington had a medicine cabinet like other people where drugs might get mixed up no mr stone there was no mistake you think miss stewart administered the poison purposely to kill her aunt it would have been a brazen soul indeed that could have spoken falsely under the piercing gleam in fleming stone's eyes then i am forced to think that replied anita quietly and you know i was present when miss carrington denounced pauline and told her to leave the house the next day and i also heard miss carrington when she said later that half her fortune should not go to a niece who treated her as pauline did would she have used those words in speaking to miss stewart asked stone pointedly surely she would why not never mind all that anita said haviland polly's gone run away and it's up to us to do all we can to help her if her flight means she's guilty never mind we must stand up for her and deny anything that incriminates her if she did poison aunt lucy we don't want her convicted of it she'll go straight to loria and he'll look out for her all right but if we find anybody's going to head her off at naples or anywhere we must warn her and help her to thwart their plans accessory after the fact began stone sure said haviland you bet we'll be accessories after the fact to help polly out why mr stone if she did this thing the best possible plan for her was to vamoose just as she did do car loria can hide her in egypt so nobody can find her and after a while mr haviland and stone's eyes gleamed 
i am surprised at your attitude how can you so easily take miss stuart's guilt for granted no other way out now look here mr stone neither miss frayne nor i did this thing we weren't tied to miss carrington's apron strings we could walk off and leave her if we chose but miss stuart couldn't her life was a perfectly good hell on earth i know all about it a lot more even than miss frayne does i don't quite say i don't blame polly but i do say i quite understand it she is an impulsive creature she'll stand an awful lot and then fly all to pieces at some little thing that sets her nerves on edge she's clever as the devil and if she procured that aconite long ago say it was in anticipation of some time when she-well when she just reached the limit and it happened to come that night that's all wrong mr haviland all wrong and stone's face was positively triumphant i've found an additional hint in what you've just said and i'm convinced i'm on the right track one more question miss frayne about that conversation you so luckily overheard luckily said anita her great blue eyes showing alarm in their startled gaze surely most fortunate to my mind indeed it may well be that that carefully exact memorandum of yours may be the means of clearing miss stuart of all suspicion now tell me this you heard only miss carrington's voice as if speaking to somebody did it sound as if she spoke always to the same person or to more than one at the different times well it did sound as if she spoke to different persons but it couldn't have been so surely if there had been more than one i must have heard some other words than her own never mind your own surmises you say it seemed as if she addressed more than one person why because she used a different intonation at times angry at times loving but this is only an impression as i now look back in memory i haven't thought about this point before nor need you think of it again you have told me all i want to know and i assure you it will be of no use for you to mull this over or give it another thought but i don't want you to think mr stone and anita began to cry that i want to suspect pauline i am not considering your wishes in the matter said stone coldly if you do not want to think miss stuart implicated in this matter your words and actions are unintelligible to me but they are equally unimportant and i have neither time nor thoughts to waste on them with this somewhat scathing speech stone went away leaving the angry anita to be comforted by haviland what did he mean she cried her cheeks pink with anger and her blue eyes shining through tears gray does he suspect me no anita of course not but he's on a trail perhaps it wasn't polly after all but it had to be it was somebody in the house and it wasn't you or me or any of the servants well you listen to me girl if they quiz you any more about that talk fest you butted into don't you colour the yarn to make it seem against polly i won't have it how cross you are but i never did gray i never made it seem to be evidence against pauline you never did anything else don't you love me any more and the soft lips quivered as an appealing glance was raised to his face her eyes like forget-me-nots in the rain were so beautiful haviland clasped the lovely face in both his hands and said as he held it i won't love you nita if you go back on our polly i'm surprised at your attitude toward her just now and i warn you i won't stand any more of it i'm forced to think she did this thing but i intend to admit that to nobody but you and stone 
if he can find the real criminal and it isn't polly i'll bless him forever but you know as well as i do why he is clinging to that forlorn hope it's because he's of course i know because he's in love with her yes and it's a remarkable thing for him to fall head over heels in love at first sight like that well of course she is handsome and anita's grudging admission was real praise you bet she is and old stone fell for her in a minute now there's the old adage of love will find a way and if fleming stone has any magic ability or whatever these wizard detectives claim he's going to work it to the limit to prove polly innocent and i hope to goodness he succeeds great scott i wouldn't suspect the girl if there was a glimpse of a gleam of any other way to look but you hear me anita don't you say a word true or false that will help on the case against pauline stewart i won't stand for it and don't you say you saw her coming from that room when you know you didn't the postman came just then and brought with him two letters addressed in pauline's dashing hand well what do you know about that exclaimed gray half glad and half scared at the sight one for me and one for f s here anita take mr stone's to him while i eat up mine i won't do it i want to see what's in yours first and anita stood by gray's side to look over his shoulder all right then and they read together dear gray i couldn't help it you see i was so frightened at what you all said that i didn't know what to do i came over to new york with a vague idea of asking mr price to help me i stayed with ethel all night and somehow things seemed to look so black i couldn't think of anything but to go to car i went down to the steamer office to see about changing my tickets for an earlier date or something and i found the catalonia sailed to-day i'm scratching this off to go back by the pilot i had about two hours to get ready so i bought a trunk and some clothes went to the bank and got a letter of credit and here i am i don't know yet whether i'm glad or sorry to be here but i know i could not stand it at garden steps another minute with you and anita both against me mr stone doesn't believe i did it but he is doubtful of being able to prove my innocence so i'm going to carr and you can address me in his care he's my nearest relative and it's right for me to go there i cabled him from new york to expect me and to meet me at alexandria i'd write more but it's most time for the pilot to go and i want to send a word to mr stone of course you will look after all my bills and affairs till further notice pauline good lord said gray think of that poor child going off like that because she thought you and i were against her well aren't you asked anita an angry gleam in her eyes no never shouted gray if pauline is guilty a thousand times i'm not against her i'm for her anita for her first last and all the time come on now let's take mr stone his letter they found stone in the boudoir the room where the ghastly crime had been committed he spent many hours here of late it seemed necessary for the furthering of his theory and yet whenever any one was admitted to his presence there he was found sitting staring at the room and its furnishings as if waiting for the inanimate objects to speak a letter from miss stewart he said eagerly i hoped for one by the pilot he opened it and after a glance handed it over to haviland it said only my dear mr stone thank you for your belief in me and forgive me for running away and please oh i beg of you please drop the case entirely 
your further investigation and discovery can only bring sorrow and anguish to my already distracted soul i have no time to write more but assume that i have put forth any or every argument that could persuade you and at once cease all effort to learn who is responsible for the death of my aunt sincerely yours pauline stewart twenty in the boudoir apparently fleming stone paid little attention to this letter from pauline really every word engraved itself on his heart as he read the lines and when he gave the paper to gray haviland it was only because he knew he would never need to refresh his memory as to the message pauline had sent him stone also read the letter she had written to gray and his deep eyes clouded with pain at some of the lines but he returned it to haviland without comment and then courteously dismissed the pair he's bothered to death said gray as they went downstairs so am i responded anita but nobody cares about me it's all pauline whether she's a let up on that anita and gray spoke warningly don't you call pauline names in my hearing anita pouting flounced away to her own room fleming stone remained in miss lucy carrington's boudoir he sat on the window-seat and looked out across the wide gardens and the innumerable steps there was not much snow now merely great wind-swept stretches dotted with evergreen trees and the carved stone of the terrace railings and balustrades long stone mused over pauline's letter for a time he gave himself up to thoughts of her in which consideration of crime had no part he knew he loved her loved her with all the strength and power of his great nature with all the affection and devotion of his big heart and with all the passion and adoration of his deep soul he knew she was not averse to him knew almost with his marvellous power of knowledge that she cared for him but he knew too that if he let his mind dwell on such alluring thoughts or visions he could not work and work he must ay work as he had never before with an incentive he had never had before and fleming stone's mind was troubled to know whether this love for pauline would help or hinder this work he must do and he resolved with all his mighty will-power that it should help that he would control this surging emotion so new to him and would force it to aid and assist his efforts and to triumph over all doubts or obstacles again he concentrated his whole mentality on the room and its contents he swore to wrest from the silent witnesses the story of the crime this was not his usual method of procedure on the contrary he almost invariably learned his points from questioning people from observing suspects or quizzing witnesses but he realized the difference in essence between this case and any other in which he had ever engaged he had no more questions to ask he knew all any one could or would tell him he knew all the facts all the theories all the evidence all the testimony and none of it was worth a picayune to him except negatively this case must be and should be solved by the application of his highest mental powers by the most intense thought and doubtless by most brilliant and clever deduction from hints not facts from ideas not visible clues to work then to the work that must bring success leaving the window-seat stone walked round the room and finally drew up in front of the mirror the easy-chair in which miss carrington had sat when she received the blow given by bates whether she had sat here while taking the poison no one knew if stone's theory was right she had not by referring to the photographs taken of miss carrington after her death stone was able to reconstruct the scene correctly 
he placed the easy chair just as it had been when she sat in it he assumed the position she showed in the photographs and gazed at himself in the mirror as she must necessarily have done slowly he went over that conversation reported by anita frayne never for a moment had he doubted the truth of that report he was sure miss carrington had really said all the things anita repeated and the clear and indubitable explanation of those remarks would mean he was sure the solution of the mystery by way of interviewing his silent witnesses he endeavoured to reconstruct in thought miss carrington's movements that night pauline and anita had left her all three of them angry at a little after twelve later estelle had left her that was about quarter to one then she had on her embroidered robe and some jewels she was not then sitting at the dressing-table nor had she then presumably taken the poison for the doctors insisted that she had swallowed the poison very near the hour of one but after it rather than before and had placed the hour of her death at two so stone reasoned miss carrington must have taken that aconite at pretty nearly the very time anita heard her talking it seemed to stone incredible that there could have been a person present to whom miss carrington could have addressed those remarks and who could have given or allowed her to take the deadly draught the idea that pauline could have been this person was not among fleming stone's catalogue of possibilities moreover the fact of the one voice strongly impressed him another voice however low must have at some point of the conversation risen to an audible sound to a listener with normal hearing also anita had asserted that the speeches of miss carrington did sound as if addressed to different persons it was not likely there were two or more intruders or visitors there at once and slowly but surely flemingstone decided once for all that miss carrington was alone in that room at that time this meant not exactly soliloquy the mode of address contradicted that but it meant to him at least that she was addressing some inanimate object or objects as if they were sentient his task was to discover those objects his first thought was as he sat in the easy-chair before the mirror that the lady had spoken to her own reflection but the speeches of which he had a memorandum precluded this hypothesis she would not say to herself you are so fond of pearls or you have a beautiful face abandoning that supposition stone methodically searched for something that might have been addressed clearly that is if he were on the right track the words henri you are the mark i aim at could have been spoken to the count's glove which she held in her hand in the same vein assuming that the glove to her represented the count himself might have been said the speech about the ten thousand dollars and the remark that he loved pearls accepting these possibilities as facts stone went on to discover more his method was to repeat to himself her very words and strive to see or sense something to which they might have been addressed you have the most beautiful face i ever saw he quoted softly and then scanning the room went on i only wish mine were as beautiful his eyes lighted on the picture of cleopatra which hung above the mirror of the dressing-table that's it he cried with instant conviction she looked at that beautiful face and then in the mirror at her plain features and she involuntarily cried out for the beauty denied her poor woman to live all her lonely hungry life surfeited with wealth yet unable to buy the fairness she craved not doubting for an instant the truth of his conclusion stone checked off that speech and passed on to the next on his list if he could account for them all he would be sure lucy carrington met her death alone 
and therefore by her own hand of course she did not knowingly poison herself but if persuaded that the prepared draught was some innocent remedy oh well that was aside the point for the moment but quoting the phrase to-morrow i shall be for ever free from this curse of a plain face to-morrow these jewels may all be yours even his ingenuity could suggest no meaning for a foreknowledge of approaching death what else could free her from her hated lack of beauty what but death could transfer her fortune of jewels to another of course it might be that marriage with her would give the jewels to count chalier but the two speeches were consecutive and the implication was all toward the fate that was even then almost upon her the remark about ten thousand dollars was unimportant as she had recently willed that sum to five different people and the reference to a change in her will that should cut out pauline might have been merely a burst of temper at any rate stone ascribed little importance to it then he felt that he had learned enough to assume positively that miss carrington was not talking to a human being when anita frayne heard her voice then he conjectured as the maid was free of all suspicion on the poisoning matter and as the two girls had left the room at a little after twelve the weight of evidence was in favour of the poison being self-administered no matter for what reason or intent granting this there must be some trace of the container of the aconite before it was placed in the glass this must be found if not it proved its removal by someone either before or after the poisoning actually occurred eagerly almost feverishly stone searched exhaustive search had long ago been made but again he went over all the possible places the ornate waste-basket beneath the dressing-table still held its store of dainty rubbish this had been ordered to remain undestroyed stone knew the contents by heart but in hope of an overlooked clue he again turned the contents out on a towel some clippings of ribbon a discarded satin flower two or three used powder leaves a couple of hairpins and a torn letter were the principal items of the familiar lot nothing that gave the least enlightenment stone got up and wandered around what had that poison been in before it was put in that glass the ever-recurring thought that someone might have brought it to the boudoir after preparing it elsewhere he would not recognize a sort of sixth sense convinced him that if he kept on looking he must find that clue he went into the bedroom the beautiful appointments replicas of marie antoinette seemed to mock at his quest we know they seemed to laugh at him we know all about it but we will never tell untouched since estelle's deft hand had turned back its silken coverlets the bed seemed waiting for some fair occupant with a sigh at the pathos of it stone suppressed an involuntary thought of the incongruity of that gilded lace-draped nest and its pitifully unbeautiful owner there was a profusion of embroidered pillows and across the satin puff lay a fairy-like night-robe of gossamer texture and coquettish ribbons a peignoir of pink crepe lay beside it and on the floor a pair of brocade mules waited in vain for feet that would never again slip into their furred linings there was nothing helpful here and with a sigh stone went on to the bathroom fit for a princess the shining white and gleaming silver showed careful readiness embroidered towels delicate soaps and perfumes were in place all showed preparation not use if i were searching traces of estelle now groaned stone despairingly to himself i could find thousands but miss carrington didn't come in here at all but whoever rinsed that glass did the thought caused stone to start with eagerness 
it was the fact of the glass being out of line with the other appointments of the washstand that had first attracted his attention to it after the test the glass had been returned to its place now in strict position between a silver cup and a flask of violet water spoon in it mused stone shows carelessness on the part of whoever put it there don't believe a spoon was in a glass generally in this celestial bathroom if his ruminations were cut short by a shock of surprise under the washstand was a small waste-basket had this been overlooked by the searchers not surprising for thorough search had not been made in bedroom or bathroom as in the room where death had taken place stone mechanically looked over the contents of the little basket there was only a scant handful of papers but carefully spreading a towel on the floor he turned the basket upside down tremblingly he fingered the papers the first was the wrapper that had contained a cake of french soap at a glance stone saw the corresponding soap in its silver dish estelle had doubtless placed it there casting away its paper but among the scraps was another paper two more they were they surely were in creases like the folds of a powder paper with lightest touch stone unfolded them there was one about four inches square that had been folded as if to contain a powder this was white and of a texture like writing paper the other was of a paraffin paper exactly the same size and shape and in similar creases also there was a bunchy ball of tinfoil that when smoothed out proved to be of identical shape and size with the other two there was no room for doubt these were unquestionably the wrappers of the aconitin stone detected on the inside of the paraffin paper traces of the powder itself and knew that a test would prove his discovery a true find now then where did he stand to his own mind what he had found proved that miss carrington had herself gone to her bathroom opened the powder thrown the papers carelessly in the basket and then mixing the stuff with water had taken it then and there and rinsed the glass and set it back on the shelf it was all natural and plausible but he well knew others would say that remembering her detestation of medicaments miss lucy carrington never did such a thing also they would say someone else someone of whom miss lucy felt no fear had mixed the draught and had administered it by means of some yet undiscovered but plausible misrepresentation and only too well he knew whose name would be associated with the deed heavy of heart he returned to the boudoir and sat in the easy-chair before the mirror new thoughts came surging it was sure now that miss carrington took the aconitin in a glass of water in her own apartments one of them and took it if not knowingly or willingly at least without any great objection or disturbance clinging to this theory that she was alone stone visualized her taking the draught by herself assume for the moment an intended headache cure but no if she took the aconitin alone and voluntarily she knew it was poison for she said to-morrow i shall be freed forever from this homely face did it all come back then to suicide no not with that glad face that happy smile that joyful look of anticipation a suffering invalid longing for death might thus welcome a happy release but not life-loving lucy carrington it was too bewildering too inexplicable again and again stone scanned the powder papers they told nothing more than that they were the powder papers that was positive but what did it prove to whom did it point 
frowning stone studied his own face in the mirror before him desperately he repeated all the sentences on anita's list at one of them he paused even in the act of repetition he stared blankly into his own mirrored eyes a dawning light beginning to flame back at him then a little wildly he glanced round up down and back to his almost frenzied reflected face oh he muttered through his clenched teeth for stone was not a man given to strong expletives it is i've got it at last the powder the pearls the snake my heavens the snake oh pauline my love my love but who who have i discovered this thing only to lead back to her i won't have it so i am on the right track at last and i'll follow it to the end the end but it shall not lead i know it will not to my heart's idol my beautiful pauline end of chapters nineteen and twenty